occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 20. I'm Abby. I'm Kate. We'll be your ghostesses this evening. This episode, I'm talking about Jim Jones and the Jonestown Cult Massacre. Oh, lovely. Sounds fun. I'm talking about Ed Gein, infamous murderer, body snatcher, etc. You hyping him up? I know you're excited about this one. I am. In a twisted kind of way. <sighs> well, it's the best way to enjoy myths, magic, and murder. To enjoy anything. True. You ain't wrong. Birthday party. Twist it. Why have you said that? <laughs> 35 seconds in and we're already making a mess. Hell yeah. Happy March. It's March. Wow, the most useless month of the year. That's not true. What There's do you do in March? Uh, English Mother's Day. Probably in other countries too. I know that American Mother's Day is different though, right? Why? Mothers are different though. Y'all got different mums over there. Oh, it's because they spell it M-O-M. Yeah, it's very different. It's, <laughs> it's Mother Day. Oh, shut up, Kate. <laughs> you doing anything with your mum this month? Oh, I don't even know if she's back from holiday by then. It's a bit of a way away, to be fair. I don't know anything else that happens in March. I feel like Easter sometimes happens in March, but I don't really know. Now I'm thinking about it, is that an April thing? It I doesn't always, matter. <laughs> I always attribute it with April. So I think sometimes it does like overlap to the end of March, but I don't know. I guess it's spring this month yeah i guess the most irrelevant month is it's march spoiler yeah it probably is actually it is all you do in this month is clean i always kind of hated november though november's my least favorite month there's nothing wrong with november oh, it sucks what happens in november and it's cold it's dark. it's like your hype month you've just had october spooky season the best month you're yet to have um it's Thanksgiving in December, it is, isn't it? I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it is just sort of before Christmas. Um, it might be in November, though. I may be completely wrong. Please let me know. Um, you've got Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you want in December. November's like a, all right, I need to shed some of these fucking pounds before the feast begins. November is bonfire night and that's it. Oh yeah, bonfire night. Bonfire night sucks. I don't like fireworks. A month full of um, explosions, annoying people letting off fireworks for a whole month. People doing penny for the guy. Who? Penny for the guy. What's that? Do you not have that here? No. I only recently moved to the south, so. What's penny for the guy? Well, where I'm from, people do this thing like teenagers and kids. Sorry, this is a soft topic. We'll get into into cults in a minute. No, um, wait, we've given up. Now it's a it's a podcast on Penny for the Guy. It's a podcast on Bonfire Night. <laughs> so in November, running up to Bonfire Night, which is the fifth of November, you sit on the street and you ha- you make a dummy, like a like a ventriloquist puppy. No, P- like puppy. it'll s- puppy. It'll <laughs> sit next to you, so you'll make like a, a head and like maybe like a little balloon or something. And then put it in some clothes. What? <laughs> you'll what? You make that? You not do that? Here? No. Oh, Surprisingly, man, we don't all sit north. on the cold street in November. And with you a say, puppet. "Penny with the guy." People give you money, so you beg. 
But we're the puppet. <laughs> the lead up, you make a puppet and you beg with it. Penny for the guy. The North is something. Um... I don't know where that originated from. I'll tell you after the podcast. I'll research it because it's not relevant, but... We'll let you know on all media, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> I'll update you if Penny you're curious on what Penny from. for the Guy huh. is. Obscure. Anyway, I'm going to get straight into this because we've faffed around with Bonfire Night, even though it's March, for far too long. It's a useless month. It is a useless month. We've concluded. So this episode, I'm talking about Jim Jones and the Jonestown Cult Massacre. It's a very sad story, but it's also a super interesting one, as cults tend to be. My sources are biography.com, Wikipedia, Britannica.com, The Guardian, RollingStone.com, History.com, and TheAtlantic.com. So, Jim Jones was born as Jim Warren Jones in 1931 in Indiana. He was a bright child, but his family were very poor during the Great Depression, meaning he grew up in a shack that didn't have any plumbing. He was a regular churchgoer and was very well educated on leaders like Stalin, Marx, and Hitler, and he would often note the strengths and weaknesses of each of them. Off to a good start. Yeah. There are more leaders than that. It's like those guys that say they're interested in history, but it's just both of the world wars. I mean, maybe he was into more, but I'm not going to do full research on every single person he was interested in. You get the gist. Mm -hmm. He visited many churches in his local area and befriended a minister for a time, and he took what he learned in the different types of churches and began preaching to other children in the community. People often suggest this is because he found it hard to make friends. People record him being a really weird kid who was obsessed with death. Several childhood acquaintances also said that he frequently held funerals for small animals on his property and that he had stabbed a cat to death. Oh, so you got to say that's nice, like that he held a funeral, but you can't go around doing that and then stabbing cats. Wait, did he, he did kill it. all of the animals? Uh, it, it wasn't said, but I presume maybe he killed some of them. Oh. He, Jim Jones is a really interesting guy because on some... He's a complex character. On some levels... He seems like he's trying to do a good job. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, he seems like a really evil man. Right. That's like manipulating people. Like, we'll get more into it, but he's a really interesting person, like, even from a child. I I can't really tell whether he's doing this because he wants to help them go to a better place because he's religious, like, like intensely religious, not just religious, or whether he's doing it because he wants to kill things and watch them die, you know? Okay. It's complicated. Right. But yeah, some warning signs. If your kid kills a cat, get them some therapy. If my kid killed a cat, I would send it off for adoption. I'm not having it. I've, that's such a big warning sign. It's like the uh, the triad. You know the one. What's the triad? Oh, like the signs of being a psychopath or something yeah. as a child? Like bedwetting, killing animals. And there's another one, but I always forget it. You are supposed to be the psychologist on set. You I'll know what I am? I'll, I'll look it up while you continue. <laughs> So Jim's father was a World War I veteran, and he was associated with the KKK. And Jim clashed with his father heavily on the topic of race, and he refused to speak with him. This only got worse when his father refused to let one of Jim's black friends into their house. The other thing's awesome. Oh, cool. A short while later, his parents separated and Jim graduated with honours. Because of his obsession with religion, he refused to partake in sinful behaviour such as dancing or drinking, so he wasn't really like the other boys that were his age. Which is possibly why he found it hard to get on with people if he was like so focused on completely different topics, but I don't Probably, know. Yeah. He could just be a, a weird guy. So he began working in a hospital as an orderly, and this is where he met his soon-to-be wife, Marceline Baldwin, 
She was an older nursing student and they married in June 1949. Jim also decided to enter the ministry and became a charismatic churchman who was a vocal spokesperson for racial integration, which is something that was quite rare for churchmen and church elders at this time. By 1953, he was getting sick of the racial discrimination in the churches and said, you know what, I'm going to make my own church and open it for all ethnic groups. Fair and enough. What's really weird about this is that to raise money for this, he imported a bunch of monkeys and he sold them door to door as pets. Wait, what? Yeah, what the fuck, right? He, in, <laughs> His method of, of doing this instead of like fundraising was selling monkeys. When was this? In the 50s. Damn. Weird. It's like what we were talking about on the... Was it the Patreon episode? How people just wanted exotic pets. Yeah, that was... buy monkeys for no reason. Don't. It is odd. Don't buy a monkey off a man that turns up at your door. The fact that his first thought was like, I'm going to go knock on people's doors and sell them a money. (laughs) It's actually the best method of getting money. Like he's He's a crazy guy. I mean, he's... He's a weird man, but selling monkeys is just absolutely bizarre he could have gone door to door and sold like girl scout cookies he could have gone door to door and been like i'm setting up a church for that's going to include all races can i have some funding and some people probably would have done especially maybe minorities. you didn't want to do that you didn't want to like beg maybe you wanted to like exchange goods and services but why monkeys why is that your first thought i don't get it maybe he liked monkeys expensive i guess so anyway he got the money, and in 1955, he established the Wings of Deliverance, which was a Pentecostal church that eventually became known as the People's Temple, and it was essentially an interracial mission. He was often noted for his work with the homeless, and in the early 60s, he served as a director for the Human Rights Commission in Indianapolis. Jim and his wife adopted several children, some of them were non-white, and they were actually the first white couple to adopt a black child in Indiana. Oh. He would often refer to his family as his rainbow family, mm. which makes me kind of uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> what an obscure man. Well, they had three Korean American children and they encouraged the temple members to adopt orphans from Korea. All right. Okay. Let me just, sorry. You know, it is absolutely great and fine if you want to adopt outside of your like skin color, go do whatever you want, but to then make a point of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, to, to be, be like, like let's look, look, I'm adopting Korean children. Everyone should adopt Korean children. It's like Korean children aren't any better or worse than other well, children. I, I think he was telling people to adopt them because Korean was a bit war-torn at the time. Okay. So he was like, there are orphans that need adopting, which is fair enough. But yeah, going around saying my rainbow family yeah, it's a bit, is it's kind a, of just... Just draw attention to it. Just be like, this is my family. If you're... Yeah... It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's like being like, look, my gay son. It's like, he's just your son. Don't, why would you? Just leave it. Drop it, Jim. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one to comment on because obviously I'm not from a racial minority, but also like, I think it's probably a bit weird to be it's just making weird to a think huge of doing point it. of that. Yeah. They also had a daughter who was part Native American and a bunch of other kids. They had eight kids in total and only one of them was biologically theirs. Fair enough. Sound like, um, I literally can't think anymore. Sorry, I'm just chatting bollocks at you. That's okay. (laughs) Around this time, Jim was also completely ignoring the mayor's advice to keep a low profile and start finding new ways to share his views, such as appearing on radio and TV. So he was a a big name. Hmm. 
He started racially integrating churches, restaurants, the police department, a telephone company, and amusement park. He even went as far as setting up sting operations to cast restaurants, refusing to serve black customers. That's really good. This is what I mean. That's really cool. It's it's a complicated situation. Yeah, but was he just doing it to be like, I'm the guy doing this? Exactly. You know what I mean? At one point, he collapsed and he was placed in the black ward of a hospital by accident and he refused to be moved. First of all, I don't know how they did that by accident, but yeah, <laughs> he refused to be moved. He even began making the beds and emptying the bedpans of other patients. They're like, Jim, please, we need this bed for a black man. And he's like, I am not leaving. People loved this and they pressured the hospital to desegregate the wards and they did. Wow. Yeah. People obviously hated this guy. They were like, you know, racists. Oh, yeah. You can imagine. Mm -hmm. People were leaving dynamite and dead cats on his doorsteps and in the temple. Dynamite and dead cats or dynamite in dead cats, did you say? Oh, thank God. And also dead cats. Jesus Christ. In 1965, he relocated his church to Northern California because he was worried about a nuclear war. And he adopted the name The Prophet. Humble. Mm. He quickly became obsessed with the power that his church had given him and began facing allegations that he was illegally diverting the income of his church members for his own use. He was also studying Adolf Hitler. Adult- oh my god. Adolf Hitler. And Father Adult Divine. Hitler. Not baby Hitler. <laughs> to learn how to manipulate his church members. It was there he learned to find an enemy and let the members know who the enemy is because it would unify the group and make them subservient to him. Oh, it's like there are um, seven stages of genocide. I don't know if you know about it. I don't think I do. We learn about it in psychology. So it's like basically you get a group, you scapegoat another group, and then you kill the other group. But it's like the ways of doing it so that like your group sticks with you. You like pit them against each other. Also, um, like, that's the enemy. Y- yeah, you're basically just like, oh, this horrible thing has happened. We're all a group together. This group's the reason that this horrible thing's happened. We should make them suffer. Oh, that yeah, that's yeah. interesting. One of his members quoted him as saying, what you need to believe in is what you can see. If you can see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you that don't have a father, if you see me as your saviour, I'll be your saviour. If you see me as your god, I'll be your god. Taking it a bit far. That's the point, I think, in which innocent uh, groups and churches start to become a bit more cultish. When you start to prophetize yourself. and Yeah. Hmm. If you nine- just stopped at fatherly love, that would have been nice. Yeah. It's, it's getting a bit less wholesome mm. as time goes on. In 1977... Jim had seen a massive growth in his church and began meeting with presidential candidates, the first lady, and local political figures. He moved the church further up to San Francisco and began encountering media scrutiny and resistance. In the summer of this year, Jim Jones, his family, and the cult packed up and abruptly moved to Guyana in South America. He called this settlement Jonestown after himself. Right. So why did they move? There are a few reasons. The main one is... A reporter had written an article that had allegations from former temple members that accused Jim of physically, emotionally, and sexually abusing members. Mm. Also, a private investigator by the name of David Conn was spearheading a government investigation into Jim. David had heard multiple stories from ex-temple members that recounted stories of fake healings, beatings, child abuse, sexual assault, theft, and other crimes committed by Jim. 
Oh, Jim, stop it. Jim has a bad record. You had such a good thing going. Jim knew about David's investigation, and even had some of his members spy on him. The FBI were also onto Jim because of David's report, but David knew of Jim's actions super well, and even predicted the massacre later to come in Jonestown. Spoiler. Yeah, well, it's in the title. Oh. (laughs) Spoiler for me. I mentioned it earlier. (laughs) This is probably because they uh, knew of several suicide drills that were conducted in the People's Temple prior to the events that we'll get into in a second. Also, after doing some research, it was concluded that Jim was forcing his people to do hours of unpaid labour for the church, as well as breaking contact with their families. Hmm. That's that's the that's the point. That's, that's the cold point. Yeah, that's never never good. I mean, the suicide drills obviously aren't good, but the uh, the cutting contact that's uh, that's not yeah. good. Apparently, as a show of commitment, members were also asked to sign false testimonials that they'd molested their children, so that he could keep it to blackmail them if he needed to do that. Jim, look. <sighs> I only found that in in one source there, so I'm not entirely sure if that is true, but it was a reliable source, so I'm assuming it might be. And if it is, then that's ridiculous. Why? I mean, I get why, you know, he's a bad guy, but... So yeah, Jim was pretty scared this operation was going to get shut down, or that he might get arrested, so he just packed up and took everyone to Guyana in the middle of the jungle. Don't do that. Just don't. He promoted the move to his people by describing it as a sanctuary in paradise. However, once you move there, you are not allowed to leave. Oh, love that. Yeah, you can't get out. Mm. He said that it's because he wants to keep his people together so that they can die together and move to another planet blissfully. I thought, wait. Reminds me a little bit of <sighs> Heaven's what you Gate. covered, Heaven's Gate. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, that sounds like it. Um, I thought he was against segregation. What do you mean, like segregating his people against... Yeah, rather than having like an us and them mentality with like, you know, race, he like let everyone join together, and then he's just took his lot and he's like, nah, you're you're my lot. They're they're them. They're out to get us. Yeah, well, he's he's afraid that he's gonna get caught and charged for all of these things, and his cult's gonna get you know because he's he's built this. I mean. Even though it's not built on great teachings nowadays, like nowadays, I mean, at this point in the story, mm-hmm. it's still a. Uh, I guess you could just. It, it's still a. I don't know. It's still. I know what you're trying to. Yeah, it rides on strong <laughs> beliefs. Like, it's still powerful. Yeah, there's still a lot of people. And he's still the prophet, so he doesn't want people to, like, take him down. He likes the power. Why would he want his, his people to leave him? How many people are there? Over 900. Oh, yeah, okay. I kind of get that he would... Is it is it similar to the Heaven's Gate thing? So in Heaven's Gate, if you didn't listen to it, quick summary. Doe was in charge of everything, I believe. And he was basically just like, yo, you're not um, gonna move on to the better place unless you're with me, because I am. Like That's why Heaven's Gate has stopped, because it can't continue anymore, because he was the central figure of it no you didn't you didn't need that so you don't need him no people liked him though he was the teacher and he he made this possible he he was charismatic he was charming it's like manson people wanted to follow him right 
Okay. Jim had a hard time hiding that he had a drug addiction from his members at this point, but he was still well-respected by his members. At this point, the majority of them were from disadvantaged backgrounds, and 68% of them were black. Mm -hmm. Jim would often ramble into his megaphones as his followers worked at their settlement, and the government at Guyana weren't bothering them at all. You weren't allowed to talk when Jim was talking into the megaphones, also. It sounds like school. Wow, that was edgy. No, it does. Because, like, he, he just basically sounds like a teacher. Like, you can't have your phones. You can't, like, contact anyone. Are you saying more. school is a cult? N- well, it is. Really. It's an educational cult. That's like not a school. bad cult. Don't. Go to school. Yeah, definitely. But, like, you know, he's a teacher. You can't speak when he's speaking. You have to believe what he says. You can't contact home. You can't leave whenever you want once you're there. You have to work without getting paid. It's a little bit more intense than school. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I just mean like he just just sound like a teacher rather than um someone that's like an ethereal being on earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like he hasn't really taken himself out of the equation that much. I feel like he's still just kind of like an like an overwatcher. Well, he he says like into the megaphone. He will talk about like. He makes his own sort of prophecies and talks about um, what's the word? He like will preach into the mag- the okay. megaphones. And there was, there is a woman I'm going to talk about in a short while. Her name is Terry, and she escaped the cult when they were in Guyana. Wow. Uh, yeah, and she says that when she first met him, she thought that he was like magic because he was so charismatic and wonderful, mm-hmm. and you know everyone thought he was amazing. That people people worshipped him. People thought that he was like this crazy magic man that could like help everybody and he could just move to south america and build this this settlement people would do it mm. Fair. i mean it's pretty ambitious it's an easy trap to fall into as well because like really are you gonna think like oh this guy's gonna turn out like this he's gonna do this you know what i mean yeah exactly well terry said um it was an interview with the atlantic i think she said that she was homeless and when he came up to her and was like, you should come and join my temple. And she was like, well, I guess if I can leave whenever, I'll come. It's really rough because he's obviously just like preying on the vulnerable. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the debate. Yeah. Anyway, back in America, people were getting worried that they hadn't heard from their family members in a while. And they asked the police to investigate. Mm-hmm. This all heated up a little when a family in the US won custody for a child in Jonestown. And they all got super paranoid about people leaving. And the community became armed by members with guns and machetes who threatened to fight outsiders to the death. So a little bit more intense than just a general community at this point. Yes. Jim was most likely worried people would want to leave, as Jonestown was not the paradise that he'd promised. The members worked long days doing labour, and if they questioned Jones, they were forced to hand over their passport and any letters to home. What labour were they doing? There were like fields and stuff, farming. Oh, okay. I was like building and looking after the settlement. Why doesn't he just make it a paradise? But I get it if it's like he he getting the food. It was a jungle. Yeah, he'd built like a little thing in a jungle. They built it and he'd Why overseen did he pick it. There, it was far away. Pick somewhere nice. Go Bali. South America is probably easier to get to if you're in Central America. All right, I'll give him that one. He was obviously also convinced the U.S. government were out to get him. Also. In the middle of the night, he would often get his temple members to participate in suicide drills, as mentioned earlier. 
this basically consisted of uh so we had megaphones all over the place like i mentioned Mm -hmm. and occasionally he'd yell white knight get to the pavilion your lives are in danger in the middle of the night and terry his name was terry buford buford o'shea and she was a member of the temple for a while and she said that he would tell the members something along the lines of uh, in America, black people are being herded to concentration camps and they were coming to kill and torture the people of Jonestown to like scare them. Mm-hmm. And then he would have set up people to shoot each other in the jungle with rubber bullets to make them feel like they were under attack in the camp. And then women would bring out trays of what they said were cyanide-laced Kool-Aid and they were forced to drink it. And then they'd all be wondering why they weren't dead and he would say, he would start laughing and he'd be like, now I know I can trust you. And he would clap and then he'd be like, okay, go to bed. And then he would leave. I could not be asked. I would just leg it. You can't. People are armed at this point. Well, if they kill me, do you know what I mean? At least then I haven't taken my life for this guy that's obviously actually insane. He's a, he's a bit intense. So yeah, that was the those are the suicide drills. Cool, love that. Practicing in case they had to get out. Though. Cheers, Jim. It's so scary. And yeah, I can't imagine how horrible that must be because you're already tired from working. You know, you've already dedicated your life to this man. You don't talk to any of your family. You've moved to this place. You have to do exactly what he says at all times. And you're just trying to get some fucking sleep in between it all. And then he's just like, wake up and kill yourself. And you're like, no. And then you do it anyway because you're like, okay, this guy is my lord and savior. And then you do it. And he's just like, lol. Pranked. Yeah. Jim, go to bed. Yeah, Terry got out because she realised that Jim was abusive to his members and that he was a liar. And she found that out because a tin roof fell off one of the houses and made a huge crash. And Jim freaked the hell out. And she was like, he never panics when people show up with guns, but he's panicked because of this, so he must be faking them. She ended up convincing Jim that his lawyer needed a secretary back in America so that he doesn't hire an outsider and he let her go and do that. And then she she changed the name and moved to New York. Good job. Smart girl. Other people obviously weren't as lucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm saying, like, good job. Like, other people would have had a chance to do that. But... Oh, yeah, you know, it's not people... It's not anyone's fault that they were stuck there. Mm. In 1978, a group of former Temple members and concerned relatives of the current members visited the U.S. congressman and asked him to travel to Jonestown to investigate the settlement. The guy's name was Leo Ryan. Leo arrived in Jonestown with a group of journalists and observers. Jim put on a good show and the visit went well, and they had nothing to be concerned about. That is until Leo was about to leave when several of the Jonestown members approached him and asked him to take them back to America. They were like, please let us out of here. Oh, so he was like, okay, got to report this back. So that Did obviously. You take them? Well, this obviously really pissed Jim off because he realised that some of his followers weren't that loyal after all. And one of Jim's most loyal members, I think he was the lieutenant, attacked Leo Ryan with a knife, but he managed to get away unharmed. Jim was super angry and he was worried that Leo would start spreading information back in America. So he ordered some of his followers to go to the airstrip and kill Leo and his companions before they left. Oh my god. Leo and four others were murdered as they boarded the planes. Oh shit. They got him? They got him. No. I know. Terribly sad. Oh, goodness. And he was congressman? Yeah. Oh. That's not good for Jim. 
Well, back at Jonestown, Jimmy concluded that it was already too late and he needed to get out while he could. So he gathered everyone together and told them it was time to commit a revolutionary act. Kind of like the drills, except this one was not a drill. So he mixed together Kool-Aid and cyanide. Uh, Kool-Aid, I'm sure you're aware, is like a powder. Uh And he decided the children would be the first to die. Which is just so sad. Parents were forced to drop a mix of the Kool-Aid into their children's throat. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Absolutely awful. And obviously some of the members drank the mixture willingly because they were super brainwashed by this guy. I mean, understandably, as you would be if he was controlling you, manipulating you this entire time. He promised you this land. Like, he was helping you the whole way along until this point, until you moved here. Mm. Of course, some people would be. But yeah, they thought that that was the right thing to do, so they they went along with it. That's so horrible. It's horrible as well because the children didn't even pick to be there. Oh yeah, the like, children. If you had a kid, they were forced. You you were like told that you would have to raise them into the group. Oh my goodness! And like to do that to your own kid, you know what I mean? What if you're one of the ones that kind of wanted to get out? Yeah, well, many people had realized at that point that they wanted out because this wasn't what they had signed up oh. for. But Jim had armed guards in the area, and many were forced at gunpoint to drink it. Oh my god. So Jim was going around encouraging people to take this stuff. And after people drank it and they saw other di- others dying, they were obviously panicking. So Jim started preaching to his people about laying down their life with dignity and that death is preferable over what would actually happen to them in the future. Which is just the worst as well, because that's obviously a lie. If the government, like, if, if they got him, they would know that he was just controlling these people and that they would be basically innocent you know what i mean at that point they hadn't done anything wrong yeah i was gonna say they hadn't they hadn't done anything anyway all they did was farm yeah it took around 20 to 30 minutes for the adults to die around five minutes for children and less for babies oh babies as well yeah so there's obviously a really gruesome way to go out and there were over 900 people in the settlement most of them including the guards died some of them didn't because they were in other parts of the area and didn't have a megaphone. So a couple people survived, a couple people snuck off. Not too many of them, but some definitely did. And oh Jim goodness. was so intense that if you didn't sneak into the jungle, you were like pretty much guaranteed dead, because the guards had a stethoscope going around to see if you had a heartbeat. Holy and if you, shit! Yeah, if you refused to drink the mixture, they would shoot you with a needle filled with potassium cyanide. How crazy is that? They were really serious about it. Oh my god. And what makes me so angry, and what makes this even worse, is that when they got there, like when the officials got there and found everybody dead, they found Jim Jones laying on a pillow and he'd shot himself in the head. So he didn't even drink it. He didn't go out like everybody else. What a prick, man. Yeah, he forced everybody else to die this slow and painful way. I was going to say, cyanide's not a nice way to go either. And he just shot himself in the head. Oh evil man that makes me so angry yeah absolutely evil man imagine how you'd feel as a guard as well do you know what i mean like you're having to you know make sure all these people are dead and he still makes you take the cyanide yeah he doesn't even let let you out of this it's absolutely awful but that is that is that story that was awful. Yeah. Interesting, though. I think it's interesting because of the way he went about it. He wasn't just a an evil man. I mean, you know, it's debatable, but 
he didn't start out as being obviously a bad person. Mm-hmm. He he did so much for for minorities and for black people and you know his community, the homeless, like he did a lot. Mm. And he I'm sure he was preaching good things at the time. He was involved in different religions, you know, he was super into leadership and helping people. But it's like was he just doing that because they were easy targets? I think it's either control? he was doing it yeah to control people because he knew like he had a plan of where he wanted to go with it in his head or he wanted to get sort of well known and famous for helping vulnerable people because like no one else was or he had the best intentions at heart all the way along but then maybe he just developed paranoia you know or um schizophrenia if he was having like delusions of grandeur that he was the messiah you know and he was in charge of all these people and he he, what he was doing was right and he was paranoid you know maybe it was just a mental illness i mean yeah it's entirely true he also at this point was taking a lot of drugs yeah which could have also impacted how he was dealing with things but I definitely think to some extent he must have been manipulating people because there's no way that you could go from being like that to then being so extreme to forcing these people to kill themselves and their children and telling them that that was like the right thing to do. It's just absolutely I mean, he could have wild. just genuinely thought it was the right thing to do. He could have, yeah. He could have been in a really difficult mental state. It's hard to say, really. But I think even if you... Even if you think he obviously had some form of like narcissism or delusion of grandeur, because even in the way that everyone died, you know what I mean? Like he still took the better route. He still took the more sort of um, further up the hierarchy route. You know, it wasn't he wasn't dying with like his followers. He was still above them. He didn't have to suffer. Yeah. And like, but. So obviously that was still there because even if he thought that, you know, them dying was for the best, like genuinely, he wasn't just doing it for whatever. He could have just shot them all. You know? I guess, yeah. Rather than make making them all sort of... Which still would have been horrible, don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, but it would have been at least quicker. And forcing them to do it themselves. Yeah. That's horrible. It is just awful. It could also be that... So, remember I said that um, his dad was associated with the KKK. Mm-hmm. And he was super racist. And he was really angry at his dad. And then his, sp- his parents split up. Mm, it could true. also be that he started doing things like that. And, like, having his rainbow family and, you know, promoting that. And doing all of this work. Not because he wanted to be a good person. But because he wanted to, like give a big fuck you to his dad i guess yeah and then maybe that kind of spread to other people as people were angry at him when he was just kind of like well fuck you i can do this you know or maybe it was all just like him proving his uh worth and almost sort of look dad i'm different yeah you know what i mean so it does suck though because as i said like it he did so much and to then just absolutely ruin it because yeah if he just hadn't moved 
Who knows? Well, apparently he was still practicing suicide drills while he was in California. So I think at that point uh. he kind of knew that he was screwed. That sucks. Yeah. It is awful. We hadn't even... Oh, no, he still had the allegations against him. I was going to say, like, he hadn't even done anything wrong over oh, there. Yeah, but no, was, yeah, okay. Yeah. He's a bad leader. Still a piece of shit. Yeah. So, scare scale. How scary do you think this story was? I think it is quite scary. Because it can just happen. You never think that someone's going to be, like, grooming you into a cult. Yeah, you know? for sure. You never think that, and you never think that it's going to end that way. Especially if it starts out as an innocent church. Yeah, if someone's super charismatic and they're just like, do you believe in whatever? And you're like, no, but I do now. You're just trying to have a nice, wholesome time, find people that will like help you off of the streets and feed you. Yeah, that woman, Terry, as well. So I'm just remembering another interview. She said that she, she liked the church she likes the temple but not because of jim because of the other people mm. like they were all really nice people because they were all so different and diverse exactly you've got a, a bunch of different minorities they're all going to make each other feel like welcome and at home and you know now you've got something to believe in something to like live for maybe i think five yeah it's so it could just happen and you would never expect it five for danger as well then yeah yeah, it's a big because one. Because you would die. If you if you followed him there, you would just you'd be dead. Yeah, it's incredibly likely. Yeah. Or if you tried to leg it, you were dead. If you tried yeah. to fake it, you were dead. There's no way out once you're there. Yeah. Well the the way people escaped was just that they you know, they Got were lucky. really sneaky by it. Or they yeah, they would they would down the hill and couldn't hear it, you know, rather than Oh god. Uh, yeah. Any more to the scale? No, that's it. We don't need to do likelihood and alternative explanations because uh, it happened and it was a real thing. Mm. That is true. I mean, there are a few explanations as to why he did it, but we've already said those. Okay. Cool. You want to change the tone a bit? Yeah, let's bring it back a little bit happy before we talk about more gruesome stuff. All we do is woo on this ah, podcast. I know, it's only been the last couple episodes. <laughs> I think it's because I'm so comfortable now talking in front of this mic. I was really trying not to woo this To like a hundred people. But I, but every time we talk, we're just like, woo woo. And I feel yeah. really annoying and I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, if you like the podcast, then please leave us a review on iTunes. It would help us a lot. A lot, a lot. More than you think. Because it will help other people figure us out and get to listen to us. Also, if you like us, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Mids Magic Pod. And if you want to support us, then you can join our Patreon for cool surprises. Did someone say Patreon? Here I am. Ran all the way here. If you want to support us on Patreon, then it's a monthly fee of whichever tier you choose. We went back, looked over some stuff, rearranged it, join which tier you want. It goes from not a lot to a little bit more. And you can get things like exclusive episodes, um before release what's that called pre-release <laughs> episodes and what we will be doing on the episodes and soon we will be reading through carmilla yeah you can also get things like art prints and shout outs and you know all handwritten cards all the fun stuff if you support us because you'll be helping us out a lot yes and if you happen to have any <clears throat> Haunted happenings, terrifying tales, or spooky stories, send them over to midsmagicmurder at gmail.com. We'll read them. We might even tell you about them to yourself. 
that would be cool. You can hear my annoying voice telling you about your own experiences. You can hear me going, woo, like I'm your, your story. <laughs> like I'm your inside voice. Oh, also our Patreon link is patreon.com forward slash Myths Magic Murder. Cool. You want to tell me about Ed Gein, this horrible, horrible man? Yes, I will oh, tell you. Also, do not Google Jonestown or Ed Gein because uh, you'll see some things you don't want to see unless yeah, you're unless into seeing you horrible see things. Um, quite a lot of the web pages for Ed Gein don't show the images, so you're all right. Obviously, don't go on Google Images or whatever if you don't want to see the images. But yes contact morning of the entire internet there's some horrible stuff out there yeah if you google jonestown as i wrongfully did earlier and go on images then you will find photos of the massacre so don't do that if you want to see photos of ed and jim then they'll be on our social yeah we're not putting the horrible stuff on there oh yeah obviously we're not cruel people we're not monsters ed gein here he comes Sources are Wikipedia, popmatters.com, glamour.com, all that's interesting.com, houseforest.com, murderpedia.org, BBC, informationcradle.com, AETV.com, Oshkosh Daily, Northwestern, therichest.com, crimeinvestigation.co.uk, ranker.com, and wickedwee.com. We get it. Kate Googles a lot of things. We get it. Ami knows nothing. I read books sometimes. So, Ed Gein is one of my favourite murderers. He is the first case that got me interested in all things macabre and inexplicably horrific, really. I found out about him because my brother told me. Uh, you all probably know him too, even if you think you don't, because he is the basis for Norman Bates in Psycho, Leatherface in The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs, and Dr. Oliver Threadson from America Horror Story Season 2. I didn't know that he inspired Norman Bates. Bloody face. Oh. Norman Bates. I know that he inspired blood. I was like, God, you didn't? No. Oh, it's the whole mum thing. Get ready. Oh, good. So let's jump in. Edward Theodore Gein, also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, apparently, I've literally never ever heard him be called that, was born on August 27th, 1906 in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. Interestingly, he's the only notable person to come from La Crosse County, according to Wikipedia. So I feel like that sums up the fact that it's pretty small. Uh, That's so sad. I don't know from you imagine. Well, what notable things do you guys have? Here? Nothing. <laughs> don't ask. Absolutely nothing. If you're from there, let us know and come on the podcast. Like You can update your Wikipedia page with something interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that please. That isn't that. God, you guys, pull it out and do better so that you can get on the wiki page rather than it just being Ed Gein. So there were around uh, 118,000 people there in 2018. So it's a small place for America. Uh, And back in 1900, there were only around 42,000. So very small. Okay, relatively small. Ed had a brother, Henry, who was older than him by five years. His parents were George and Augusta Gein, and they were both natives to the area. I would say they were a happy nuclear family, but... They weren't. Augusta despised George. He was an unemployed alcoholic. It's not that he'd never had a job. On the contrary, he'd had many. He just failed at keeping them for very long. So the family moved away from the probably not very bustling city to live in complete isolation on a huge farm. I mean, fair enough. It's where every happy, healthy story starts. 
Augusta, the totally not overbearing creepy mother, used the farm's isolation to her advantage. Here, she could tell people to shove it so they couldn't influence her sons at all. She wanted to be the only one they listened to, and basically just spoon-fed her religion to him. She was Lutheran, I believe. She told her sons about how immoral the world was, how all men were sluts and vessels for the devil, and how drinking was a sin and just everything was wrong, really. She sounds delightful. She does. I'd love to have her over for dinner. She obviously had a bit of a skewed look on reality. So Gein gave a story later on in his life about his mother. He said once Augusta witnessed a man named Smith beating a dog. While he was beating a dog, a woman outside a woman ran outside and yelled for Smith to stop, but he beat the dog to death. Augusta was extremely upset, but it wasn't because of the brutality towards the dog. It was the presence of the woman. Augusta told Ed that the woman was not married to Smith, so she had no business being there, and she angrily called her Smith's harlot. That's weird. Yes. So, she seems balanced. I guess. (laughs) Anyway, one thing Augusta did realise as the boys were growing up, that they needed to attend school, so they both went. It was the only time that they left the farm. Here, Ed could shyly flaunt his advancements in reading, poor social skills, and random maniacal laughter. But Augusta would be damned if she would let him develop relationships outside of the home, and so whenever he formed friendships, she punished him severely. Okay. Yeah. Flash forward a few years, Ed's 34 and still living at home, with his brother, mother, and father. Then his dad passes away due to problems stemming from alcoholism. So Ed and Henry pick up the slack and take out odd jobs so they can keep covering the farm's expenses. They both work as handymen around town, and Ed often babysat, which he loved to do. Oh, that's horrific, Mm. considering the rest of it. Yeah, if if you know the end, then that is a horrible fact. I only know the end, so this is all making it worse. (laughs) Henry started dating and was talking of moving in with the woman he was dating, but he was a bit skeeved out by the the idea of leaving Ed with his mum. From what I gather... Henry didn't really like her very much, and since their father's death, she'd become even more controlling and started filling their heads with even more pessimistic religious ideas. Instead of the reaction you'd expect, Ed responded to his brother's naysaying in a very taken aback and hurt manner whenever Henry spoke ill of her. Okay, I'm, I'm getting the Norman Bates vibes here now. Yes. Four years later, the boys were tidying up the farm by burning the brush that was around. The fire got out of control, so the fire department saw it, came over, extinguished the fire. Then all of the firefighters obviously finished, packed up, left. And then Ed reported that his brother had gone missing. He didn't do it earlier when they were all still there. He he waited. Okay. Yep. Then one seemingly quick search and a dead body later, the search party was a little wary of Ed. His brother was found face down and obviously dead. However, the coroner ruled Henry's cause of death as asphyxiation, which is understandable if you're next to a fire. Yeah. Maybe you got caught up in it, whatever. Ed was never questioned. Everyone moved on. And then it was later found that Henry had bruises on his head. Oh, no. Ed, no. Oh, no. Ed. (laughs) So I imagine that these events had turned out rather well for Ed and Augusta. 
They're both weirdly infatuated with, with each other. They've both only got each other left. So there are a lot of parallels with Psycho, obviously. Yeah. However, in a... Um, One of my favourites. <laughs> do love that. However, in a uh, <clears throat> stroke of bad luck, Augusta has a stroke. Not too soon after Henry's death. Yeah. It's awful. She's, oh. Yeah. She's... She doesn't die. She's paralysed. Okay. Um, Ed's still bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ed was left to take care of her. He was her full-time carer. And then, I think it was about a year later, she had another stroke and died quickly after on December 29th, 1945. As you can imagine, Ed was absolutely gutted. He'd spent his whole life being creepily close to his mother never given the opportunity to socialise outside of the family, and now all of his family were dead. Yeah, that's pretty awful. What do you do in that situation? Yeah, right. Well, I'll tell you what I he did. I guess some horrible things. To perk himself up, he did what any rational person would do. He boarded up every room used by his mother so that they could never change, and he got himself a hobby, reading about anatomy, cannibals, and Nazi crimes against humanity. Good God, Ed. <laughs> Go play football, for fuck's sake. Ed, have you thought about art? Have you thought about maybe not reading about those things? Also, he got a fuck ton of porn. Oh. Yeah. Because his mother was always like, um... Oh, like that's Sex bad. is awful. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he just really indulged. Yeah. Fair enough, I guess. I mean, I get it, you know. It's like, what anyone was like, you can't get takeaway. And then I went to university and got a lot of takeaway. <gasps> Horribly fat. Yeah, me. <laughs> but yeah, so that seems to be just what he's done. Also, yeah. the house was an absolute mess. Apart from, obviously, the rooms that he boarded up. There was just trash everywhere. Wow. Yeah. So things seemed to be going well for him for a few years after this. And then on November 16th, 1957, Bernice Warden goes missing. No one was too suspicious at first, because the neighbours had seen that her truck had been driven away from her hardware store at 930 in the morning, obviously. Then when the store was closed all day, they all thought it was because of deer hunting season. So, the deputy sheriff, who was Bernice's son, Frank Warden, went in to the store at 5pm. There he found blood on the floor leading to the back door and an open till. Well, that's a bad sign. That it is, in fact. Frank had seen that the night prior, Ed Gein had been in the store and that he would return to the morning of the disappearance to purchase a gallon of antifreeze. This guy is so suspicious. Like, he doesn't even try to hide it. He's just bordering up his house, buying a bunch of random books, and <laughs> buying antifreeze? Where did he get those? Because Amazon wasn't a thing. The bookstore. He'd just go to the library and be like, got anything on human eaters? I guess. And they were just like, uh... They were like, yeah, sure, there you go, Ed. Come back soon. And yeah, does, I guess you could just be like, propaganda. oh, I'm interested in learning <laughs> stuff. Mm, I don't know. Anyway. So, yeah, the fact that he'd been there to buy antifreeze was backed up by a receipt written by Bernice for the antifreeze, uh, which also happened to be the last receipt that she wrote. So the police arrested Ed, and then they went to go search his farm. They found Bernice in the shed, but it wasn't good news. She'd been shot with a rifle, and after her death, she'd been decapitated, hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and rope at her wrists. 
She'd been dressed out like a deer, which to those who don't know, field dressing is when you remove the internal organs of hunted game. I hate that. Yep. I absolutely hate that. Yep. Also, I didn't know that and I didn't need to. When they found her head, they saw that nails had been hammered through both of her ears with twine connecting them so it was ready to be mounted on the wall. Oh my god. You know, I didn't know about this part. That's horrible. What? Oh. Yeah. Oh no. It's a pretty rough story. He, he was going to put her on the wall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a, like a moose head on the wall. It's a bit different when it's a human, though. Oh yeah, I'm not... <laughs> I'm yeah, not being like, like a moose, well, it's fine. I think he was fine, to be honest. So the police went into his house, obviously, because that was just the shed. So then they went into his house, and inside they found a waste basket made of human skin, bowls made from human skulls, whole human bones and fragments, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, ten female skulls, some with the tops sawn off, a shirt made from a female torso, leggings made from human leg skin, Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag, Mary Hogan's skull in a box, Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Ed's cooker, nine vulvas in a shoebox, a young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old, a belt made from carved-off female human nipples, four noses, a table propped up by a human shin bone, human faces in jars, which authorities later found he wore as masks, a pair of lips stitched onto a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, a fridge full of human organs, and fingernails from female fingers. You know, it hits different when you read it all in list format. Yeah. I mean, at least he wasn't wasteful. At least he kept everything. But take that back. <laughs> Just take that back. It's so gross. It's incredibly it's disgusting. So gross. It's one of the most disturbing things I have ever heard. And I've heard a lot of disturbing things because I run this podcast. <laughs> have you seen any of them? I've seen like two of them and then I stopped scrolling. Oh, it made me feel sick. It actually made me feel sick. I saw the lamp. Yeah, I think I've seen the lamp. Oh, God. It's something that will never get out of your head. It's actually just the worst. Like, it's the worst. It's the most disgusting thing. It's disturbing. I don't understand what that was about. What? Why was he doing that? For what? Decoration? Buy a, buy, just buy a chair, my dude. Yeah, right. Just you get can, a piece of wood to prop up your table. You can get fabric. You don't need a human shin bone. Yeah, that's all I knew. So then, so was he eating them also? If he was keeping the heart? Yes. So he was eating them and then using like their skin bits to... How did he kidnap that many people? Well, I'll get to that. Okay. So oh, I need a minute, man. This program <laughs> will resume shortly. Sorry, there will be literally no break. Yeah, you can pause it if you also need to take a minute. <laughs> I wish I could. Thank you for giving them permission. Finally, they can pause it. <laughs> They've been listening on a loop since episode one. <laughs> Please make it stop. So at which point, police realise they've got a much bigger issue on their hands than they originally thought. How was he not caught earlier, you may ask? Well, he didn't kill all of these women to take souvenirs. In fact, he didn't kill most of these women. Oh, it's even worse. 
He made around 40 trips to local graveyards at night to exhume recently buried bodies. Apparently, Gein said that most of the time he left empty-handed, but when he found a recently buried middle-aged woman that resembled his mother, he would take the body home. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't know this. I thought he killed people, and And I just moved on with it and didn't Google it. And he would make his creations. No. These are... Oh, oh, no, it's getting worse. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. I hate it, Gates. Stop talking. He did confess to having killed Mary Hogan, who was a tavern owner that had been missing since 1954. He was also a suspect in other cases, including the disappearance of Evelyn Hartley in 1953, who's still missing today. Georgia Weckler, who was an eight-year-old that went missing around the same time, and Victor Travis and Ray Burgess, who both went missing while hunting in 1952. But no one knows where they are no one knows if he did it although Gein had done all of this and is often called a serial killer he isn't because there have only been two murders linked to him so fun fact he's just a he's a murderer and he's a gravedigger and he's is it a crime to make crafts with humans seems like a very specific crime it should be it's gotta be right it's mutilation. Yeah. So it's just and cannibalism is not legal, right? Yeah. Pretty sure. It's things I've never thought about, but like I'm sure that's illegal. That's got to be a law, <laughs> right? You can't just eat whoever you want. Anyway. So he's only confessed to two murders and his first confession was inadmissible because the sheriff assaulted Gein by bashing his head against the brick wall during questioning. Honestly, fair enough. Yeah, there's no... You can't you can't just chat to him like he's normal. <laughs> it's really fucked up. Oh, man, I'm just... I can't process this. Apparently, all of this started soon after his mother died as he was creating a woman's suit so he could literally become his mother by crawling into her skin. Oh, you made it worse somehow. <laughs> I'm not laughing at this because it's actually so horrific and horrible and just awful. Oh yeah, it's horrific, but it's one of those things where like, it's so awful that if I don't laugh at it, I don't know how I'm going to react. Yeah, I think Maybe I I'll cry. be sick or like <laughs> have a little cry session. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay to, you know, make a joke and stuff like this to to lighten up a bit. Yeah, I'm not making a joke about the mutilation or the death or anything. It's all horrible and he's a horrible, horrible man, but... It's just... It's just... It's ridiculous. I think that's the thing, is that it's not just, you know, horrific. It's not just murder. It's not just mutilation. It's all... To the nth degree, horrific. It's everything you and can ridiculous. imagine. Yeah. yeah, it's like someone wrote it. It's like like, like a film. I get yeah. inspired films, but that's exactly what it's like. Luckily, though, Gein didn't have sex with any of them. When he was asked, he seemed disgusted and said they smelled too bad. Eventually, well, evidently, not bad enough to not want to crawl into their skin. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm glad that that didn't happen, because that would just make it even worse. But, like, the fact that he was just like, that's preposterous. Yeah, right. All I wanted to do was keep their lips. I mean, I guess everyone's got boundaries, but come on, Ed. I just wanted to, you know, keep their nipples. Is that too much to ask? Like, absolute. (laughs) Stop kink-shaming me. Ed, this isn't a kink. Stop. It's too much. 
God. So I don't know how credible this this bit is, uh, but although they smell bad, sometimes Ed would stuff female genitalia into a pair of women's underwear and wear them around the house. Jesus. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that his mother's aggressive teaching about uh, sex being demonic behavior didn't go the way she thought it would. No. Well... Mm. And it's all so fetishized. Like he had nipples, he had genitals, he had like the um the skin shirt had like breasts. It was all so because he couldn't you know what I mean? It was like repressed for so long and it was like um sexual aggression to his mother. Like I'm just analyzing him a bit, but and like lips on a string, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's all so... And it wasn't men, either. You know, it wasn't both. It was all women. It was... I guess it was just his mum, wasn't it? Yeah. That's what he wanted. I can't believe I started this by saying, I don't see the connection. Yeah. And you said that, I was like, just wait. It's because I didn't know that it was his mum. I knew that he had all of these horrible, disgusting items, but I didn't realise that that was it. I I assumed, because I'd read a bit about it, but I turned it off because I was like, I don't need to know this right now. <laughs> I never need to know this. And then I came along. Yeah. So I, I hadn't said it, but I'd seen that he'd done that and I was like, oh, maybe he just kills people and, you know, takes the skin. That's gross. And then didn't look at it again. So I didn't realize. Yeah. So Gein obviously went to trial. But wait, also, why was he wearing people's faces as masks? Was that also, you know, never mind. Just tell the story. But he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and found mentally incompetent. Um, so in 1968, well, he did stand trial. Sorry, I'm actually lying to you. So in 1968, doctors said that Gein was mentally able to stand trial and participate in his defense. So the trial started on November 7th. It lasted one week and was held without a jury. The judge found Ed guilty, but then there was a second trial to deal with uh, Gein's sanity is because he would say things like I blacked out then I was in the graveyard then I went home you know he wasn't just like oh yes I knew what I was doing the whole way along yeah uh, the same judge that conducted the previous trial found Ed not guilty by reason of insanity and had sent him to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane um, and then he got moved to Mendota State Hospital so they were maximum security prisons. Apparently the reason he only had one murder charge against him was because of prohibitive costs. So they knew he'd confessed to another one. They had his confession on another one. But they didn't bother with it because it was too expensive. Okay. So that's it really. Ed died in the Mendota Mental Health Institute because of lung cancer on July 26th, 1984 to 77. He's now buried in Plainfield Cemetery in a now unmarked grave next to his family. So the grave originally had a gravestone, but it was vandalised so much and then eventually stolen, so they just left it. Yeah, it's understandable. I think that that would happen. Interestingly, this is going back a bit, but I found an interview with Dr. Gail Saltz, who's a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital. And it was said that 
obviously we all look at what he did and say he must have been sick to do what he did but that's not necessarily true psychodynamically these murders were driven by his relationship with his mother and by going after figures like her and destroying them he would attempt to subsume them by taking their parts and making them part of him still from a mental health perspective we don't know if his crimes had to do with the lack of a moral compass or pleasure in making others suffer that's all psychopathy which is different from schizophrenia where you would expect psychosis, specific delusions, and hallucinations to make it impossible for someone to understand right from wrong, and, over time, a cognitive decline. Nothing I've read about Gein suggests schizophrenia. That's not to say he couldn't have been schizophrenic. Okay. Because I was reading it, and I was like, doesn't sound like he's got schizophrenia. Yeah, it sounds like he's just got some real issues. Yeah, he had definitely something wrong with him you know not that schizophrenia is something wrong with you but there was something that clouded his idea of what was normal you know but it doesn't sound like schizophrenia well especially he must think that it was normal because if he was openly buying these books and openly displaying these things as like objects in his house like what if someone came over but no one would come over like what if what if they did? What but if why the police would they, came? He didn't speak to any of them though, and like he hadn't done anything for the the police to do it. You know, I mean, obviously he'd been grave robbing, but he knew to do it at night. He knew that it was wrong. True, yeah. I guess he wouldn't say that he blacked out as well if he knew that it was if he wasn't confused. Exactly, and like he used to recover all of the um the graves. And he would only do it on, like, recently buried ones. You know what oh, I mean? so he definitely knew that it was something weird Exactly. Then. Exactly. God, what a weird, weird story. Oh, also, when Gein was imprisoned, they auctioned off his estate and his car, obviously. Well, the estate was burned to the ground when they were clearing it. And everyone thinks it was arson. Because it doesn't seem like something normal that happened. Which is fair enough. And they told Ed, and he just shrugged and said, just as well. And the car was sold off to Bunny Gibbons, who owned a fun fair and charged 25 cents for people to go see it. Wow. Right? Bunny knew how to profit that. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. Could you imagine? You you just go in a carnival and then you're like, oh my god, that's Ed Gein's car. Because obviously that's what he would bring the bodies back in from the graveyard. Oh, it's so gross. I know. Yeah. That's why it's my favourite, because it's got everything. I'm not saying it's good or right. It's horrible. No, but I, it is a very, very interesting case. And it just doesn't relent either. Yeah. It, it, it just it doesn't give up. It just keeps going. I love it. So interesting. It is just... Oh my God. It's the craziest killer. It's true, yeah. Wow. And he didn't even kill that many people. Even if, say... um, Because he was never found guilty over killing his brother... He never confessed. And obviously then there were the other four people. So five more people. So then he would have killed seven people. It's still not that many if you look at other serial killers. But what he did was just so far beyond what any of them did. Skin suit. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah. Absolutely incredulous. Absolutely ew. <laughs> Absolutely ew. Um, so how scary? <laughs> Five, obviously. <laughs> Man, a lamp made out of skin. How <laughs> oh, dangerous. 
How dangerous. I mean, he's not that dangerous if he's mostly just digging up already dead people. I mean, he's killed two women. Yeah. Possibly. I'm going to say like a four. Four. Well, he obviously doesn't have that many limits if he's doing all of these crazy things and mounting people on his walls. Yeah. He's not... I feel like he's not someone that you could reason with either. You know what I mean? No. He knows what he wants and he, he will stop at nothing to get it. Well, that was horrific. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Good. It was a crazy episode. This has been a lot of just awful, awful things. Heavy information. But also very interesting information. And that's the point. I feel better for knowing it. I don't. I knew you wouldn't. <laughs> well, that's it then. Don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs> <laughs>